Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. forget in this episode i might swear lucy might cry and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the labels podcast i am lucy and i'm here with alice hello alice i've done it again i've got my <laughs> microphone a mile away from me two episodes in a row yeah uh hi lucy hi <laughs> you're right everything you got everything uh it's it's been um a bit of a hectic morning mm-hmm. so it's nice to be sitting down in one place <laughs> where i sort of feel like can't cause it too much more chaos i was and... trying to be sympathetic to alice's kind of fr- very fraught day today but i was shoving celery and hummus in my mouth so i couldn't <laughs> hear what she was saying i was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was like, oh now she head. tells me once i'd finished pouring my heart out it's fine i heard most of it of it (laughs) never mind never mind this always cheers us up though doesn't it yes i did say i was looking forward to recording because i was hoping it would cheer me up we never know what's going to happen in an episode all on two hats ladies and gentlemen we our guest with us this week who now has all the pressure of uh dealing with our emotional <laughs> baggage and lifting me out of the gloom is leo leo if you'd like to introduce yourself hi my name's leo my pronouns are he him and i am a filmmaker from rural oregon uh currently living in new york city oh god rural oregon what is that like bad Uh, (laughs) i can imagine anyone who chooses to leave somewhere that is literally rural oregon to move to new york can't think like farmhouses and then nothing for miles and miles and miles is a good right yeah well and it's it's funny because um yeah i had a very odd childhood um grew up on a farm um in the middle of nowhere uh with a lot of religious cults and um i was also homeschooled uh which was a whole mess in and of itself (laughs) um yeah and so very very odd kind of uh situation there um and somehow i managed to get out uh and so uh yeah yeah (laughs) i mean it sounds like you probably had three choices it was you know farmer cult member or just getting the fuck out (laughs) basically well and at that point they wouldn't have they wouldn't have accepted me because i was a bit of a pariah in uh society at that point due to my queerness and uh emerging disability so you know that was uh that was a time 
<laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the cults, they do like a productive cult member. They do. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. If you can't, can't do something, they're like, well, what's the point of you? We need you to promote our creepy alt-right propaganda. We haven't got, we haven't got any chairs for you to sit in the corner, so don't quite know what to do with you. Exactly. Yeah. And which is, you know, it's fine. It means that, that um all us disabled folk we're, we're majority safe. We've yeah. got our own cult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, disability Twitter does feel a bit like that sometimes. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Very true. Like shouting into a void. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you said you you had a bit of a an odd childhood why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of that that experience of of growing up uh being lgbtq plus and um disabled kind of you know in in that rural religious um because i can't i mean neither lucy or i live in like big cities in the uk but i can't imagine I think the rural experience in America is unfathomable, really, yeah. compared to, you know, the rural experience here is everybody's just a bit horsey. <laughs> True. True. Uh. <laughs> Surprisingly posh and a bit horse, horsey. Horse, pub, posh, basically. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was very strange. So, uh, I was homeschooled until I was 11, um, and then I was uh, shipped off to Catholic school for a year, which went very badly, um, and had to had to leave that school. They also kind of was didn't want me there after a year. So, um, but yeah, so it was. So my my disability is a bit strange in the sense that. Um, there is uh, the uh, neurodivergent aspect and the chronic illness aspect. So both went un undiagnosed for a very long time, but the chronic illness uh, that I have actually developed, it's a post-viral chronic illness. It's mm. very similar to long COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And... I develop, started developing that um, around middle school after I got really, really sick. And so for a long time, though, because this would have been 2011, um, and we're also out in the middle of nowhere, there was no way to tell what was wrong with me. And because of the symptoms, um, I had to deal with a lot of basically harassment and bullying because that I wasn't trying hard enough because it's fatigue um you know uh chronic nausea so i wasn't able to eat oftentimes um mm -hmm. and lightheadedness because your entire nervous system is completely shot so mm -hmm. i was really struggling to do things i was um for a long time i really wanted to be a professional dancer and so i was studying dance this time and um i had to quit in early high school because i couldn't physically do it anymore and it was really frustrating because i was you know blacking out in dance and things like that people were like well what's wrong with you like you're just not fit enough you need to be working even harder to be more physically fit so that you stop you know yeah. passing out and things like that which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do and um yeah so uh and amidst all of this as well i was going through um 
a very big sexuality crisis of not knowing anything. Uh, I was very isolated from the internet and from pop culture. And, you know, this was still early 2010s at this point. So the first time I ever was introduced to the concept of what gay was, was when I managed to sneak an episode of Glee and was like, well, I guess this is (laughs) the entirety of what being a gay is. You Um, immediately join a choir. (laughs) I was going to say, you can't really get more, um, more kind of, stereotypical flamboyant yeah. gay musical theatre very uh, weird it was, looking back it was a very weird program wasn't it? it it absolutely was and at the time i was taking it as gospel <laughs> because i was like this is the outside world and i don't know anything about the outside world so um uh yeah and so it was it was really wild and um i also struggled a lot because i continually tried to have these conversations where I I didn't even know so I knew that you could be gay that was yeah. it I didn't yeah. know that I was like there's no there's no such thing as lesbians what is a lesbian yeah. right yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. yeah um and I also didn't know what bisexual meant and I identify as bisexual and I would ha- try to have these conversations where I was like well I don't understand because I think like I have these crushes on guys and I have these crushes on girls and everybody would be like well I don't know what's wrong with you but also the fact that you you know, because I um, was assigned female at birth and um, was like, also couldn't talk about having crushes on other girls because that was considered like predatory and um, mm. all of this other stuff, all of this very typical homophobia in rural areas and um, faced a lot of bullying and harassment because of the religious element of the town that was constantly like you're gonna burn in hell etc yeah. etc mm-hmm. um and this would just happen in classrooms and the teachers are like you know how it is and i'm like cool thanks for nothing wow um, Jesus. yeah so yeah it was um it was it was a bit of a shit show and it took a lot of like me kind of separating myself from the town and being like i like I, I kind of I kind of wrote about this in my article for respectability where once I reached high school because then I started going to public high school, which was a huge shift for me. Yeah. Um and I was like, I have to just kind of accept that if I'm going to be a problem wherever I am, then so be it. Mm. Um and that was really freeing. And, you know, there's a lot of long term harm in being like, you know, I'm the terrible person that everybody says I am kind of thing. But also mm-hmm. when you're 14, it's like, all right, well, maybe if I just accept that for a bit, then the harassment will feel less mm-hmm. brutal mm-hmm. because then it can't affect you. Right. If somebody's like, you suck. And you're like, I know, then, you know, it yeah. <laughs> supposedly. Where, it where does that insult go? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When um, you sort of think like, you guys can't hate me or think less, any less of me than I think of myself. It's just right. like, what you're throwing at me is a drop in the ocean. Yeah, I can right. abs- I think, and I think a lot of people who have kind of differences that make them feel excluded or isolated do that a lot in their teenagers be- mm-hmm. to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was also, it was, it was a very strange experience at that high school because I, there were a lot more the way I phrase it, a lot more normal kids there because prior to that in the homeschool groups, I was dealing with a lot of like evangelical, Mm. alt-right, religious, like 
really concerning shit there within itself (laughs) and then going to catholic school which was also a shit show because i was the only non-catholic there and got my first physical fight and uh, a lot of stuff went down there and so by the time i got to high school i'm surrounded by a, a, a much wider variety of kids but also really exposed to a very specific kind of culture the public school culture that i was not at all indoctrinated in had no idea how to navigate and it was really strange because these kids were also still ultimately public school in a very rural area and this is still early this would have been 2012 and so a lot of these kids also including myself were still not fully in social media era and things like that um and so like for instance i got labeled as this like scary emo kid because i wore a black leather jacket from like goodwill (laughs) like i mean like it wasn't even like you know like a punk i wish it had been like a cool punk with like spikes it was like i wore a black leather jacket and these kids are like you're an evil emo scary monster i think me and you leo would have been friends in uh high school because when i went so i my experience of like education and things slightly different to yours so i um went to a special school when i was three years old and didn't leave that school until i was getting on for 17 18 and then so i went to a mainstream college which is like non-disabled people and me i was the first one to go to college who was in a wheelchair (laughs) so everybody was on like high alert of oh she's coming she's coming like and for the first two weeks uh nobody spoke to me because they were like i don't quite know how to deal with this thing in the chair and then we went out and did some filming with them and i was i was made to go out in a small group to do this filming and we came back after like three hours (laughs) and this lad walked into the classroom and he went it's all right lad she's fine she's not gonna cry it's fine you can ask her anything like this but um we got on so well that um me and this this friend of mine got on so well that um he got sick of people asking him what was wrong with me so we made up several stories because i used to wear a leather jacket and look quite scary <laughs> and uh well i didn't think i looked scary but apparently i did because he made up three alternate alternative stories one was that i fell off a motorbike and crashed and like damaged my legs didn't uh one that was <laughs> i was a ball me and him were ballroom dancing champions when we were kids and he- <laughs> He, he landed on my f- leg and broke it awkwardly and I've never been able to walk since. And the other ones that I was rescuing orphans from Africa. And they're all like, these people are like, oh my God, really? Like, so I just go, I'm really sorry. None of that. I know I wear a leather jacket and I look quite scary, but I'm just, it just happened at birth. It's fine. Like, oh. But um, yeah, so I think it's that whole people not really knowing how to just sort of deal with it. They're like, oh, like, me and another friend of mine became friends because he was late to the college course and they'd all made their friends and stuff so he found it really difficult to make friends so me and this like really tall six foot six lanky lad who was also a bit socially awkward we were like just like tweedledum and tweedledee really but it's i just find it bizarre how kids of that age they just don't know what to do do they they're like i don't know what i'm going to do with this disabled person i'll just sit here and just stare at her 
you know, for, for hours on end, which then makes you feel awkward. See, for me, being a quote-unquote scary emo, like, <laughs> I, I, I found my tribe. Like, all my girlfriends, who I'm still friends with now, our editor, Adam, like, are my emo friends from, like, high school still. Like, and oh, I am, nice. I am, like, as soon as I discovered that, like, you know, black nail polish uh like was was the way forward and guys wearing eyeliner i was like this these are my people <laughs> this is where i belong i have to say when i go up my nails done and i like plump for black nail polish i'm like oh yeah i feel quite menacing now like, like <laughs> yes paint them black like my soul <laughs> that kind of thing it was it was very interesting because my so i ultimately was able to uh i made uh three best friends that are still my best friends to this day. But it was really funny because, so one of my best friends, Ava, uh, I, so the other thing I wore with this black jacket was this like really dorky, like beanie slash beret situation. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I had a friend who wore one very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it was 2012, you know, it was a different time. Um, and, uh, because I was really quiet, um, there was this time when uh, this one girl who I had been like kind of friends with in the class um, introduced me to Ava, my now best friend. Um, and we had been in class together for months at this point. We had like multiple classes together. And when she introduced me and I was like, oh, hi, she, she was like, you speak English? Oh, I no. thought <laughs> She was, she's like she genuinely was like i thought you were a french foreign exchange student <laughs> and i said you are batshit we are gonna be friends forever <laughs> and we are we're still best friends yeah, and i love her to death awesome. it was just it was one of those things where you're like it, again like to your point like you have to have those really awkward meetings with yeah. people that like cut See, through everything else and you're like all right we're tight for life now we, like, I had, <laughs> so after that two weeks of nobody speaking to me when we went out to do this filming and i was right i was like oh my god they're gonna they're gonna feel awkward which is gonna make me feel awkward and i was pushing myself over a like a cobbled street mm, yeah, down, yeah. The high, down the high street and the, it was making my chair shake so much that my shoe, my shoe fell off, oh, no. and because I, I can't put my own shoes on, because I can't reach my feet, mm. and I was like, "What? What do I? What do I do?" Because like this, this guy, these guys won't speak to me, and I need somebody to help me put my shoe back on. So I went. I said to uh, my friend, "I was like, I'm really sorry to ask you, but can you put my shoe back on?" And he was like, looked at me, and he was like, "What? What?" I said. Can you put my shoe back on? He was like, what, what do you mean? Put I was like, it's fallen off. It's behind us. Like this. He went, shall I just take you to the local shoe shop? I was like, no, just put my shoe on. <laughs> With that, oh, we, they, we need a professional involved. <laughs> I can't possibly do this. With that, and he put, so bless him, he got, like, he put my shoe on. And this woman's like staring at us because it's bizarre. And he was like, this, he went, what are you staring at? Like this, and this woman, and she's like, oh, she goes, he goes, it's street theater. I'm doing, we're doing Cinderella like this. But I think that broke the ice, you see? Yeah. He had yeah. to put my shoe on. Yeah, yeah, it was, oh. it was, yeah, I, in college, so I started using a cane in college 
Um, and I, I really just like to make things um, really just even more socially difficult for myself <laughs> and um, just make things as awkward as possible for yeah. my cohort because, so I was in this small, um, I studied uh, film and television production at USC, which was also a nightmare uh, <laughs> for a variety of different reasons. Uh, that school is super corrupt. Do not recommend. Um, and I, halfway through school, I came out as trans and started using a cane because, uh, which for a variety of reasons. And um, it was really awkward in a lot of ways. I was the only trans person in my cohort. I was the only openly disabled person in my cohort now. And so, um, yeah, it was, it, they, they hadn't really known what to do with me before being yeah. this like country, because most of them were rich kids who grew up in art schools were, you know, had relatives in the film industry. Mm -hmm. um, and so then this is all in Los Angeles. And so um, they kind of had their own thing and didn't really know what to do with me. And I didn't really know what to do with them. Um, because again, the person, like the, the culture was so different, you know, growing up in where I did, it was very much like a talk shit, get hit kind of situation. And these kids were all like saying terrible things and, you know, just a lot of bigotry and just a lot of general assholery and when i would call their bluff on it they're like well you need to be like there was this whole culture of you need to be nice to each other because they could be your boss one day mm -hmm. and i was like and this would be from professors too who are like you cannot yeah you have to do this whole pretense thing and it's like but they're directly saying stuff that's like super racist and it's like yeah but mm -hmm. don't call them out on it i'm like what the fuck like what are we doing here yeah, you guys this is ridiculous yeah um so yeah, once I once I got then I became even more of a, a the the weird the weird kid in class when I started using a cane and was also trans. It am trans and everybody's like, I don't know what to do with you. And I was like, all right, guys, you know, whatever. I don't know what to I do with really you. I really wish you when you said earlier about kind of embracing, like you know, if I'm going to be a problem everywhere, then I'm just going to embrace it. I I wish that through my like teens and right into my like till like I was 25 I really wish I'd embraced that kind of being a problem being the different one and just kind of jumped in full force with like you know both feet like I listening to you talking about like you know you're transitioning from female to male you're walking around with a cane my immediate thought was fucking cane, top hat, bow tie, every bastard day, and be like, yeah, come on then, let's fucking go. And, and I mean, I I didn't use I I didn't use a I'm legally blind. I didn't use a cane or a guide dog until I was like twenty six. Um, I just fucking risked it, and my my social life and the stuff I got up to was definitely limited by the fact that I had to rely on other people to kind of get me around. Mm -hmm. And like, now I see people on Twitter who have got like orientation canes that are like glittery and stuff like that. And I'm like that, if I'd done that, I would have had six. I would have coordinated my fucking outfits with them. If I had had, <laughs> if I had known then how awesome I f would feel if I had something like that, like but you're just you're just so desperate not to rock the boat when you're yeah. that age you're just so desperate to find your place amongst people and not feel like you're standing out whereas 
like I I love standing out. I love being the center of attention. Now I'm like fucking yeah. Look at me. When I was <laughs> when I was growing up, I had uh, National Health Service wheelchairs, which were big, clunky, ugly looking. They like they swamped me basically as a small child. It was like tiny, really like tiny Tim type of. She looks very sickly and ill. Um, and then when I got to like my teenage years, and you know you could you could pay privately for wheelchairs. I was like, right, I'm going to pay for my own and I'm going to, like, I have had wheelchairs that looking back now are the most disgusting colours you could ever put together. <laughs> but as a 10 year old, I was like, yeah, I want pink and gold trim. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't gold, it actually looked like cow poo colour, um, which was... That's um, definitely not gold. No, it's not uh, gold. Not, I don't know what the cows are like no. where you live, Lou. No, but, <laughs> but, like, and I think... Uh, to a to a, a wider extent as well that's why i dye my hair bright colors because it's like mm. i you know i know they're going to be looking at me why not give them something to look at you know what i mean and it's like when people say to me oh i don't notice you in a wheelchair i'm like why not this chair cost me like thousands and thousands of pounds look at it it's beautiful that kind of thing once you get to that stage in life it's extremely freeing because you think oh yeah you know at least they're looking at something nice not something that makes me look like ill and infirm do you know what i mean it's that taking ownership of it really yeah. yeah yeah well and it's tricky too because there's just so much i mean there's a lack of representation of of what's possible to your point alice mm. about like just not knowing i mean the reason that i felt comfortable to start using a cane was because um of a character in a book i read um that like really meant a lot to me and this character um had a lot of the same issues i have and used a cane and was incredibly badass and i was like <laughs> i didn't know that those things could coexist yeah and that, like and it was one of those things i was like oh and especially also doing more research into disability justice and um because once i was officially diagnosed the the whole the whole world kind of opened up and it was like okay now i kind of understand because that, that's the other thing too is that I also didn't know until I got to college that I didn't know what being trans was. I didn't know really what disability was besides the one singular image of like, I guess, people in wheelchairs. Like yeah. it was just a complete lack of understanding anything. And once I got to college, I was just learning so much. Um, and then doing more work into disability and learning about all these things of like if a mobility aid helps you why not use it like you don't have to have a certain you don't have yep. to fit a certain mold of like yeah you know these these are the requirements for you to use yeah. a mobility maybe has got like a checklist of right you right. want to you want to use a stick you want to use a cane like let's mm -hmm. let's go through this 15 point plan of yes, yeah yeah <laughs> do lessons. you qualify <laughs> yeah i think um yeah. And I, I think as well, you know, people that I've spoken to who have put off using a mobility aid up until like recently, they've said like, it's a huge weight off that yeah. as soon as you start using it, you're like, because you, you feel more comfortable in yourself because you're not in pain and stuff. And you feel like you can enjoy life again, um, which I don't think people who sort of have acquired their disability they, they they think oh i'm going to need to use a wheelchair in the end and all and so they try it they try they fight it for mm -hmm. as long as possible but actually once you're once you've got it it's like 
oh i can breathe it's it's that idea that it will make you dependent whereas actually like i mean certainly from my experience before Mm. i started you know using a cane and and having guide dogs i was i was less independent beforehand i was dependent on other people and like i i think you know i i would you know my parents always used to say to me you can do whatever you want you know you whatever don't worry about having a disability you can do anything you want to do and one of the things i always wanted to do was go to university but i specifically decided to go to university up the road from my mum's house because i knew i believed that i would need to be near my mum for su- support because i can't see because and i know someone with the same eye condition as me who started using a guide dog i think just before she started college she's also american and she as part of her undergrad studied in Italy for a year. Wow. She moved from Wisconsin to Washington for her undergrad. And then she did her masters over here, like in the UK. And that's because she went like have dog will travel. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think like, don't get me wrong. I had a great time at uni and, you know, if I hadn't gone to the uni that I went to, I probably never would have wound up, where I am with my husband and stuff like that but but I am I am also the sort of person who's quite like I like trying new things I like sort of adventures and I think if I if I'd been using particularly I think if I had the had a dog and the confidence of having a guide dog that that brings me I would have gone fuck it let's go to edinburgh let's go i could tr- stick a pin in a map that's where i'm going to uni rather than very much limiting myself to like 25 miles from my mum's front door <laughs> yeah i think people just people really see accepting aids and accepting that people are going to look at you and go oh they're disabled mm-hmm. that's a bad sure. thing yeah there, well there's yeah. still so much stigma around it isn't it like mm-hmm. you know we we get so many people, or well, me and Alice do. I don't know about you, Leo, who who refuse to refuse to refer to us as disabled people. No matter how much we go, actually, you no, know, it's fine. You can call me disabled. It's absolutely fine. They go, no, 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 oh no. Those words will never cross. My, I, I well at work, like it's a dirty word. Yeah. Like yeah. like calling us disabled is insulting us. At, no. At work, I have put on my email signature because obviously everything is done in, in Zoom type situations. So you can't necessarily see my wheelchair unless I back up about four feet away from the camera. Um, and I've put on my email signature, I identify as a disabled person. I have cerebral palsy. It's just very matter of fact there. Somebody actually, I sent them an email about something. They emailed me back and they're like, I've just noticed your signature. It's very progressive. And I'm like, not, not really. Like I'm just telling you that I'm disabled. In case you kind of just that. a fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you know everybody's putting their pronouns on their email signature. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I need to. It needs to say Alice Evans, she, her, blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then every other like <laughs> descriptive word, for, <laughs> like, paragraph long. But yeah, they were like, oh, it's very progressive. I was like, not, not really. I, I've had this all of my life. 
Um, and it just how it just breaks that conversation. That you, nobody's going to have that weird conversation now of, oh, are, are you disabled? I didn't realise. Um, yeah. Do you yeah. think, Leo, that from kind of, you know, being kind of inspired by that representation of having a character with a mobility aid that kind of inspired you to start using a mobility aid, is that something that you're bringing into your filmmaking? Oh, absolutely. And I will say one of the things that really, because this character like really just like truly means and, and meant a lot to me. Um, they made an I do, who I do have to ask who it is. Uh, Kaz Brecker from Six of Crows. Oh my God. I love him. The, I love him so much. I, what do you think of the casting choice for the TV show? Awful. Terrible. Really? he's not disabled. No, he's not disabled. I think in terms of his personality, he pulls that, I think he the the personality works quite well but yeah okay i i'll give you we should be casting disabled people in disabled roles yes, yeah he he's, <laughs> he's also the the other thing i have a lot of criticisms of the tv show because they also um uh instead of hiring a uh a, a stunt double for um the actress playing inej mm. who mm. is of the same ethnicity yeah they put a, a white woman in brown face Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Oh um, my god. What, yeah, TV, what TV show is this? I didn't hear you. So this is Shadow and Bone, which right, is okay. the adaptation on Netflix. Uh, and it's a, in my opinion, uh, garbage fire. <laughs> and a lot of other people have, uh, a lot of people who are better equipped to analyze. There's also the fact that they didn't, there's uh, a lot of colorism and mm, fat phobia yeah. as well in the casting. Uh -huh. um, and I, you know, I'm not going to speak on that as somebody with, with as a white, <laughs> relatively thin person. I'm not going to be like, yeah, here's my opinion on that. But I know that there's a lot of really great articles out there about people who are like, this casting is not okay. And yeah. I will speak to specifically the casting of Kaz. I was really disappointed that they cast uh, Abled. Uh, able-bodied actor because i was like what what are you guys doing here like yeah. what like it's just and they also just it's a pretty up. key yeah it's a pretty key part of his um i of his identity isn't it mm -hmm. the um the fact that he's got a walking impairment well and the yeah. actor talks about like pretending like he was like to get into character i was walking around with a oh, limp in my apartment don't, oh, don't even yeah. get don't even get me started yeah, I wrote, that's in an interview like i a, wrote a, my like, i wrote my uh uni like end of year thing what dissertation that's the one i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say thesis but it's not that um on the fact that um disability representation and i rambled on for about 34 pages of it's not right blah, blah, blah. and um you know because they always go back to the same excuse of oh we can't accommodate them on set well yeah why? what why why oh, and, and the actors are going to be slower because of their additional needs no we're not trials no we're not and that's something that's like also if you if you plan for it from the beginning, yeah. right? If you plan production ahead of time and make production accessible, which it just should be regardless. I mean, yeah. that's a huge part of what respectability does and what their uh, production uh, coordinators do is talking about like how all sets need to be made accessible because you also don't know who has an undisclosed disability. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it because of the nature of the film industry, people are not in a position where they have the power or the comfortability and the safety to openly disclose 
hey, this is my disability because they will often be fired for that or they, you know, will be basically subtly blacklisted out of the industry entirely. And so um, it's, it's really important to just have film sets be accessible, even if you don't necessarily have, you know, disabled actors. But even then it's like, why don't we have more disabled actors? Why don't we have more disabled characters? Why do we even have to, I mean, what was so powerful for me about disability, the, like the the element of disability in the Six of Crows books was that it was talking about the impact of disability without it being like... The, the main narrative. Yeah, because yeah. it was like, it was a yeah. heist in a fantasy yeah. story. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing I always talk about is that like, I am a filmmaker because I want to make movies about disabled queers in space yeah. who are, you know, <laughs> who are causing problems. You can cast me and Alice in the lead roles. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I want, I want Star Wars, but like disabled and queer and um, yeah. not, I mean, Star Wars, that's a whole other thing. And <laughs> they, cast, <laughs> they cast people of color and then wrote really racist storylines and didn't defend the actors from all the racism online. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, so like I I love those stories. I I'm not really interested in stories set in the real world because I live in the real world and I don't really find that entertaining yeah. to watch personally. That is a hundred percent just me personally. I understand mm-hmm. that there's a lot of value in um, you know, coming out stories like Love Simon was really impactful and things like that. So but for me, it's like, I want to do, I want to make stories about adventures and yes. actually be able to see myself. Yeah. Do you think, Leo, that um, your imagination is enhanced because you are disabled and because you have gone through an alternative sort of journey to where you are now? It's not been as straightforward, has it, for, for, for us as a collective, really, growing up? Um, yeah, I often think that my imagination—I I run off, I run away with myself—and before you know it, I've got big ideas and big plans, and I'm like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Like, started going on the other day about how when we have an office yeah. and we do this, this, and I'm like, Lucy, Lucy, yeah, I was gonna say, just we couldn't even afford a fucking water cooler at the minute. <laughs> the two of us, never mind an office. <laughs> Might just be able to afford coffee. Um, <laughs> if you guys would like to help us, uh, help 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 donate to the show to to buy us a water cooler or a coffee machine or and an eventually office. an office, yeah, for the low uh, low price of ninety nine cents a month, you too can help. <laughs> we we have a GoFundMe. Go and donate to the GoFundMe. Exactly. Um, and uh, and and that's that's my. I, I apologise, Leo. I, I make it my personal mission. She, she just to... like rams it in the middle of an. If you are, if you are able-bodied, if you are a non-disabled person listening to this podcast, it is your obligation to donate. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a terrible person, and you should feel bad about yourself. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like drop food down my trousers and just make it look like I can't feed myself properly, and then cry on camera see if and we'll, we'll we'll put some adverts out on uh, on itv in between <laughs> like in between those terrible midday like old lady mystery tv shows yeah, yeah, yeah. like and it'll be it'll be starving children in africa Me. us and then donkeys oh my god yeah but oh, yeah man. i do i do wonder whether like because we are have had 
like a bit of a we're we're a bit of like strangers in society, aren't we? Really, like nobody really gets us. I d I often have thought to myself, I wonder if like my imagination runs away with me because I am disabled and and haven't had the same um create I don't know if it was creative opportunities or or what it is, but because I have a different view of the world, whether that's informed my imagination that just goes off on one. Yeah, I mean, I, so part of the reason that I became obsessed with storytelling was because when I was younger um, and growing up on a farm, homeschooled, I was very, very isolated mm. and I didn't have peer, I wasn't surrounded by my own peers and I wasn't really, you know, it was a very isolating kind of childhood. And so um, the few times when I would go to, you know, my dance studio or things like that, it was very much still the outsider, the weird kid, because these kids were coming in from public school and I was like, didn't speak their language basically for all intents and purposes. Mm. And so what That's really- you were the French for an exchange student. Yes. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> Could not be more French. Me born and raised in Oregon, only speak English. But... Forget on your own. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so I started reading a lot and, um, until my ADHD developed and, um, caused a lot of problems for me with my ability to focus, I was reading a book a day growing mm. up and I was obsessed with, uh, Nancy Drew books with, oh, um, loved Nancy Drew yes. when I was a kid. Yes. Nancy Drew is the best. My siblings, we would, and I, uh, we would play the Nancy Drew PC games. Oh, wow. Uh, which, you know, uh, graph, the graphics are very like 2008. Just, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, and, uh, Tamara Pierce's books, uh, which are fantasy, um, and a lot of, I was obsessed with history. Um, mm. and so I was just reading a ton and was like, I also, uh, my dad is a big sci-fi fan. And so I also grew up watching Star Trek and, um, Star Wars, uh, and the show Quantum Leap, which I yeah. still love yeah. a lot. Um, and so growing up with those stories, it was like, I did not basically have the ability to experience the world. No. And so I was experiencing the world through all of these stories. Yeah. Um, and so it became really important to me because it is, as I became obsessed with more and more TV shows and really actually started to like hone in on it as something I wanted to do for a career was tell stories through this format as dance became inaccessible to me. I it saved my life in high school because my mental health was so bad and things in my life were so bad for a variety of reasons. And I was dealing with a lot of uh, abuse. And so having those stories saved my life and knowing how important that is, I was like, I just want to be able to tell those kind of stories that provide an escape and tell a lot of meaningful and there's also a lot of room one of the reasons i love sci-fi is because of how political it is there's also just a lot of room mm. for really important um political discussions and uh the importance of being educated on uh you know all of these elements of our society and what we can do to change the world for the better and all of the things especially as a white person like we have to unpack and address white supremacy and uh 
U.S. imperialism as an American citizen and all of this other stuff that's like really also tied into my storytelling where it's like I want to provide this escape but I also know how how intrinsically important all these other things are right because it's like we can't fully have disability justice until we address accessibility and you know ableism and with that with addressing ableism comes addressing capitalism right yeah. because yeah. capitalism specifically created the category of disability so the stories that I really want to tell are about giving space for marginalized voices and marginalized stories while also addressing the underlying things that make us marginalized to begin with right yeah and I do think that is one of the really powerful things about fantasy and science fiction I mm -hmm. am like fantasy books um and anime were my friends when I was like 14 yeah um, until until I moved up here um and made friends with actual people <laughs> I thought you were gonna, um, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say until you made friends with me I was like hi Hi. <laughs> no i i i until i made friends with uh adam and i sorry i i realized i sounded su super disgusted no like, no <laughs> Ugh, lucy no i just mean that i had i did have some experience with talking to other human beings before you do so <laughs> um, you, you peaked yeah. when you met me though didn't you like it was like can't get any better than this <laughs> <laughs> um, uh yeah like fantasy fiction and uh like i grew up reading the harry potter books as the harry potter books were coming out mm -hmm. so like the first one was out in 98 when i turned 11 mm -hmm. you know i can remember sitting up until four o'clock in the morning fit to finish the hobbit the first time i skived off school was to finish the last book in the um his dark materials original Amazing. trilogy yeah yeah um for me that's that's what kind of those those fantasy things they open up the world without you necessarily realizing that they're opening the world up mm -hmm. to you and they start to get you thinking about not necessarily about the it, the systems that you're seeing but the way that you understand and feel about things when they happen mm -hmm. so that then when you see those things happening in those systems and I think I think that that actually is more impactful because if you stand in front of somebody and you say this is wrong because of this capitalism is bad because of this the conservatives are bad because of this whereas if you give people tell people a story where they it builds and they learn and they realize yeah, this is the characters, how, yeah. Well, yeah, and this is how I feel about this situation. Mm -hmm. When it's then presented to them in reality, yeah, they go, Oh, I see this, you know, from this this new light now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like feeding, you know, the animals the medicine in treats. It's like, all right, you just gotta <laughs> 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 you gotta hide it but it's yeah i mean one of the stories that really had a huge impact on me um that i got in trouble for reading during class was the hunger games series okay. uh because that's kind of what was coming out when i was growing up in because yeah. the first the first movie came out when i was in eighth grade and yeah. so um that was really impactful for me and also just from a disability standpoint i mean they don't really like 
they don't address it in the movies, but in the books, Katniss becomes disabled and Peeta becomes disabled. Yeah. Um, and so that's also a very political book. And yeah. um, I thought just did, is just like a fantastic, like basically primer as a, you know, when you're in middle school and your brain is kind of like, I'm as a, a sponge basically was a great mm, time to yeah. read this book and be like, oh, I also am, you know, I've also been very uh, resistant to authority from a very young age because of one, all of the really abusive um, institutions that I ended up being stuck in and uh, because of myself ended up being targeted by authority a lot of the time. So I, you know, was very rebellious already, but just this kind of like, there is a reason why we should question things because these institutions and these systems that we have serve a specific purpose and serve a specific kind of person. Yeah. And you and, know what I really loved about the Hunger Games was mm. at the very end where, um, and I can't remember the other characters, there's, she's like got that love triangle with Peter and, and Gail. That's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she chooses Peter, the reason really behind that is, is a moral decision. You know, she, despite the fact that there's a connection and they have a bond and there's obviously an attraction there, what she decides to do in the end is go, actually, I can't be with somebody who would make this decision. Mm -hmm. I, you know, morally, I need to be with someone who is, and, and I think when you're like 14, 15, 16, that, I mean, I, I read those book when, books when I was in my mid twenties, but I think that's probably a really, so many stories that are told to young people about mm. relationships are those kind of high drama, like almost abusive gaslighting, like Twilight type mm -hmm. relationship so, yeah, mm -hmm. the amount of time I've read <laughs> I and, love uh, it <laughs> my god I, I think that that's sort of, that those books really challenge that and I really mm. like that about those books yeah it was very like it broke the mold in a lot of ways because of who she ends up with and also the ending of the book is very different than a lot of other stories would have been mm. in that era because she you know she works so hard well one she doesn't even really want to be a part of this revolution which i thought was really you know you read these stories about like i want to you know these kids that are like i'm gonna you know lead the revolution and it was much more about the reality of how yeah. you know these people in terrible situations end up being the face of these movements that they don't want to be it's just they want to be able to live in peace right yeah it's not a fun thing to be you know, a part of this yeah. revolution, right? Um, and so, but then ultimately this system is replaced and the new system that they have in, she sees is going to cause identical problems. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was also really impactful just in terms of like, it just, it just really delved into a lot of things that I don't know if, the other thing too, is that like um, the way that I noticed that, and a lot of other people did in retrospect too, was like, when the movies were being made, they also like embraced I, the ironic side of it without fully understanding what they were doing because they were like, here's the makeup line inspired by the Hunger Games. I'm like, do you see what you're doing? <laughs> like, they're like, yeah. oh, you know, Holly Hollywood, like in many ways is representative of the capital in that series. And they were going on and on about like the fashion of the movies and how yeah. you can look like the characters. I'm like, that's what the books are about. Yeah. Like it was wild. So the people who just saw the movies and like, 
just kind of saw the thing around it and like didn't read the books missed out on this whole thing where I was like the books are literally critiquing what the film industry is, is doing like, with the movies yeah, yeah. um but yeah so it it definitely was like and it also was you know a lot of other dystopia was kind of like the genre for a while after that but I don't think any other series came close to full like to really saying as many impactful things as the Hunger Games did because most of them were just you know more blatant ripoffs that didn't really do a whole lot with the genre even though they could have but yeah I just I'm trying to think if there is a film if I've ever seen a film that was adapted from a book where I've gone yeah that was as good as no I don't um, I don't think I've ever seen a film that is better than what that. about Percy Jackson no no <laughs> I, I was so cross at the end of that movie I was like this is shit. <laughs> well, we're getting the we're getting the new remake with it, so maybe that'll be good. Oh, don't make me sit through it again, Leo. <laughs> no. If you want a, a reminder of even worse adaptation, there is always the Avatar: The Last Airbender film adaptation. No. Oh, all right, thanks. No. <laughs> I went to see uh, the Lovely Bones. I can remember going oh. to see that, and I was really disappointed because I'd read the book beforehand. And I was like, mm, this is terrible. Not- I really, I really didn't like that book. No. I thought it was really boring. I was bored all the way through. How are we friends, Alice? <laughs> <laughs> we're not really. We're, no. Is this just we're hopped like, up? We're like Richard and Judy, because it's like a, a, a fake show. Yeah, we really get on. <laughs> Judy Finnegan hates Richard Maidley, if you ask me. She cannot stand him. Leo has no idea what I'm talking about. I'll, I'll send you some clips. You'll be able to see <laughs> absolute venom coming out of her mouth. Oh no! They're, they're a married TV presenting couple. Oh, who, gotcha, hate, gotcha. who hate one another? Well, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I mean, they've been married for about forty-five years. <laughs> I just assume that's how straight marriages work. I don't really <laughs> harboring some sort of deep, deep resentment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm not I... going to comment. Having just celebrated my fifth wedding anniversary, <laughs> I um... do, do harbor a deep resentment. <laughs> um... <laughs> no, I love my husband very much. I think I paused for too long. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it out, yeah. It's fine. We'll take it out. But... Um, <sighs> yeah, no, I can't think of a book that I've read that I've gone. Yeah, that's really um really, well really yeah good. where you thought the tv show was better, or harry, the film was better. yeah harry potter no um because harry potter like the only thing about harry potter was the fact that in my head harry potter was exactly the same as he was on screen but that was just how my head had gone oh mm. that's that's what he i mean they cast they cast daniel bradcliffe for his appearance they yes. did not cast him for his acting skills no they did not uh, they just painted <laughs> a pair of glasses on a wooden spoon and, yeah. <laughs> I, I could uh, there is something about daniel radcliffe that i don't like and i, I think he's got a very punchable face yeah i don't know what that, that's why we're friends honest um... <laughs> <laughs> mutual hatred and Harry <laughs> i uh yeah i just there's something about that makes me go oh no i don't know there's something weird there i don't know what it is um, but yeah, um, I, I often think your imagination is the best, the best tool, really. And if you if you've gone to the trouble of reading a book, don't go and see the film. Well, it's tricky because yeah, it's it's a completely different medium, and yeah, it's. I think that the best way to 
to do an adaptation is to not necessarily try to like it's more about like figuring out what the essence of the story is because you're Mm. not going to be able to you're going to end up telling a very specific version exactly of the book yeah um and i and that's that's really tricky to do it's not it's not easy at all but it's you know it's that whole thing of like you know the 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 power of reading a book is that we can all picture it differently. Yeah. Um, and that's just not something that can translate to the screen. And so it's, it's really tricky to do, especially, um, but I think the other, the other factor that comes into it a lot of times with bad adaptations is it's just more about money than it is about like actually Mm -hmm. telling the story in a different and interesting way. I think, I think people get blinded by like Hollywood, don't they? And they go, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is fancy and swanky. And yes, thank you very much. I'll, I'll take your million dollar budget and all this kind of stuff. And then. And, and Hollywood cashing in on popular books and, and, Mm -hmm. and I think actually it takes a real skill to draw something out of a book and put it you know into put it onto a screen mm-hmm. um and sometimes when you're just going right let's get this out before the hype around the book disappears right. yeah exactly and and as well hollywood like to take away the, the nasty horrible bits out of any like they don't focus on disability don't focus on this like don't focus on the fact that you know unless the film is specifically about a horrible thing that happened to a disabled person or a person of color. Oh yeah, and then like it's like, oh, aren't you glad you're not them? Yeah. Um, what was that one with? Um, uh, that one with? I think it was Amelia Clark. Me before you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear how angry you are. Oh, uh, it was just oh, for no. so many reasons, just terrible. But just like. Yeah, no, that was that's inspira- that was like an hour and a half of inspiration porn just like rammed down your throat, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and the tricky thing too, in terms of like telling more marginalized stories, is that because of how, for a variety of reasons, but especially just because of how the industry is shrinking down to these monopolies, mm. they will really only tell stories that have previous IPs. So, like, you can't really get a movie made unless it's based off of something else. You can't get a TV show made unless it's based off of something else because then it's guaranteed to have a successful audience, which makes it hard because it's like, then you can't come in and be like, I have this fresh new story. It's like, oh, well, where is the published book that the, or the published yeah. you know, um, podcast that this is based on and all this other stuff that just is more, again, just that it's it's inaccessible in a lot of ways because then it requires you to have all of this other work that you've created magically out of nowhere to prove that you have an audience for this um because it's just so hard to get like anybody to take a a a chance on telling these stories even though time and time again they've proved financially successful um in terms of you know i think like black panther like yeah exactly and again i mean that's one of the the things that I did, that Black Panther did well is mm-hmm. is drawing on those kind of authentic voices and authentic experiences and when actually what you're doing is going well what's the the most popular thing amongst the movie going population is that there are actually huge parts of you know groups in society that aren't paying to go to the cinema for because they can't afford it because mm-hmm it's not accessible because they have to work two jobs because they don't want to pay what you know is 
15 quid, $25 or something to go see a film that's not about them. Right. Right. So what you're doing is going, well, what's popular amongst cinema audiences? And that is a very specific niche group of, exactly, of people. And so what's popular amongst them is the same stuff because it's the same things representing the same people. It's shooting fish in a barrel, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, captive audience, right, let's hit them with this. That's why there is so much Marvel, you know, stuff out just constantly on a... a... Well, Marvel's also because the US military pays a lot of money for that uh, propaganda, but you know. (laughs) And, And I think one of the things that is interesting about the Marvel films is that there is that huge and quite diverse back catalogue there mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, in bits and pieces being drawn up um, mm. upon. You know, we we have had a Black Panther movie. Uh, they are doing Lady Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and know, She-Hulk we, as well. And we've had, um, you know, blind superheroes out there, but it it's the we, well we've done we've done that one we've done that that standalone black panther movie yeah um and i know obviously chadwick boseman is no longer with us but you sort of go can we extend that out you know mm-hmm. um my husband's big into the marvel movies and we were having a conversation about uh spoiler alert um about now that iron man's gone you know mm-hmm. who picks up that mantle and uh he was telling me about i think the character's called iron heart riri williams uh, yeah yeah Mm-hmm. um and um and you know how amazing would it be to see that character main character on yeah. screen in the avengers um you know a woman of color in the iron man suit mm-hmm. that would be amazing mm-hmm. but we won't get that no they won't yeah. pay for that it's a step too far isn't it really well and it's also tricky too because then what they'd have to do in order to make it good is they'd have to actually hire more marginalized filmmakers behind the camera writing the script right i mean like what made black panther good besides just the incredible talent and you know amount of like incredible work that just went into it on so many levels from uh the cast and crew was the fact that like they weren't going oh okay we're gonna we're gonna you know stick one One black character in in this movie and call it good i mean it's like you can't that's not, you have to like actually embrace like, you know, if you're going to tell a story about a disabled character, you need to then embrace it. Like, you know, it doesn't, we don't want it to be the entire script was just nonstop talking about the disability, but there's like a whole lens, a whole lived perspective Mm -hmm. that you're going to bring to that, that you only have if you are part of that community, like, you know, and so that's the other thing too. It's authentic voices. I'm always talking about how important it is to have authentic voices in storytelling and i'm sorry but in the nicest way possible you can you know you might write a bestseller and i can't remember the woman's name she writes these um pull on your heartstring kind of uh it's like is it jody pico or something yeah 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 yeah. and i can remember we did a book club in my old work and somebody was like oh you should read she i think it's her she's written this book about um a black nurse midwife and these like neo-nazis refuse to let her be in the room when their baby's born but then she has to come in because it's an emergency and there's no staff and then the baby dies and the neo-nazis are like oh well it's because there was a black woman in the room and and all of this and i was just like the fuck is this white woman doing telling this story 
like good for you that you came up with that in your imagination and you've got the talent and the the time and the dedication to sit and write that down but i'm sorry that's not your fucking story yeah. shut your mouth sit down yeah no absolutely yeah i've never seen you so cross alice about a book well i've never seen you so cross full stop it, it <laughs> is a, 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 authentic storytelling i think is possibly going to be the the mission that i take with me for the rest of my life do it mm -hmm. working the work i do now uh working with people with learning disabilities mm. i am so sick of looking around and seeing people go this is what happens to people with learning disabilities yeah. because there is this belief that if you have a learning disability you can't you cannot cognitively understand and so and and cannot intellectually explain and kind of communicate and verbalize well enough and it's just bullshit it's just makes me so angry i've never heard more powerful stories than people telling their own damn stories yeah yeah that's the thing and um recently over here in uh, england there was a program on called then barbara met alan and it was about um the two people that were instrumental in the Disability Discrimination Act over here in 1995. And that I don't, it made me so emotional because I knew that the cast and the crew were all disabled. There was a disabled writer, um, although I don't, I think, I don't think he has, he's, his disability has not like, um, the condition that was causing his disability has sort of eased a little bit, but he still says he classes himself as a member of the disabled community. Um, he was a writer, the writer, and he he purposely made sure that the whole cast and crew were disabled as well, which meant there was an authentic story running through the whole thing. And I have never in my life seen a piece of drama that was it was just showing disabled people as they are not this inspirational kind of trope this kind of oh they're doing it in spite of their disabilities we were just they were just human beings and i was like this is this is like a master class in how you get it right um and it, i think when you when you see yourself and you know that that story that is being told is authentic it it gives it gives you like fire in your belly to go actually do you know what there is there is still hope out there for for people to have their minds changed and and people to be able to learn from it and not argue the toss about what's best for us and you know what to to bring that full circle as well like when you see yourself and you you feel that hope it just makes you feel more able to go, yeah, this is who I am yeah. and be okay with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because so much of what we face with with ableism is this like dehumanizing element mm -hmm. of, you know, um, being seen as like less than a person. I mean, the amount of times like people will like grab me or something like that when they see my cane because they're like oh you're not I don't know what they think but it's like this dehumanizing thing of like because you're disabled I don't have to respect your boundaries your autonomy yeah. um 
I had this one woman come up and be like, oh, are, like, what's wrong with you? Are you contagious? Because I was walking around. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> um, Jesus. Just walking around with a cane. And she just kept interrogating me. And I was trying to buy a burrito from a, from like a taco truck. I was <laughs> like, can I, get, <laughs> can I get my burrito? I don't, like, I don't. I don't really need to disclose my entire medical history. I just want my burrito. <laughs> that 15-point plan again, Leo. It's that 15-point plan. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I get that a lot. I get, you know, oh, um, I can remember when I was a teenager, we had a load of, like, non-disabled children visit school. I don't know what for, but they came on math. There was about 24 of them. Trip, day um, trip to the zoo. <laughs> probably, like, let's go see the poor disabled people. Throw um, peanuts at them through the bars. Yeah. Careful, they'll lick the windows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sense of humor. Uh, and and I, was, I was tasked with sort of integrating these non-disabled children into the class with other disabled children. And I went to great lengths to explain, you know, that, there are some children that won't be able to verbalize mm -hmm. and there are some children who might you might not think understand what you're saying but know very well what you are saying and have their own minds and everything like this and they um they did the morning sessions and they just stood in the corner and didn't say anything <laughs> looking petrified and i pulled a few of them out of what, what is what you're not getting the most out of this experience what is the matter and they were like, um, can, can we catch what what these children, can we catch what you've got? And I was like, no, I'm not contagious. I'm not contagious. But if this is, if that's your school of thought, then this is the, this is what, what the problem is. It's nothing to do with you're scared of them because they're not making any verbalizing or having any chit chat. You're just scared that to come anywhere near us. But scared I, because it's just a different body. Yeah. Never mind what that body's doing no. or how they're behaving. It's literally, I am scared of you because you're different. different. And I don't want to catch different from you. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and but I have I have always said that I have been asked every stupid question in the book, and yet I'm still surprised. There are days where I'm like, oh, I've never heard that one before. You know. Did you get your burrito in the end? I did. Thankfully, I did get my burrito. And thank the Lord. I was like, this burrito better be fucking worth it. And it was. Amazing. But you just think you just think to yourself, don't you? Why what why don't why doesn't society just mind their own business? I mean, that's the biggest thing. Is if everybody <laughs> could shut the fuck up and mind their own business, stay in your the world would exactly the world would be a much better place. <laughs> Don't speak until you're spoken to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is that again? It's just one of those things of like we don't have enough conversations about things, no. right? And so it's also like the again, kind of like the forbidden topic of disability. Yeah. Um and then again just the dehumanizing thing of like only seeing disabled people well the other thing too is that like because of lack of accessibility in society disabled people often end up like separated from everybody else so it's like oh well we don't like i've never seen a person using a wheelchair before out in the city it's like why have you thought have you thought about that and maybe it's because the sidewalks are completely fucked and they can't yeah. get around anywhere yeah. and like yeah. Yeah. so it's that's the other thing too is it like it's this cycle of, well, we don't know how to 
we don't know how to deal with disability because we don't see it. And we don't see it because things aren't accessible and we won't make things accessible because we don't understand how disability works. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. so when disabled people are seen, it's kind of like breaking the laws of physics of like, hold up. How did you get through? What are you doing here? (laughs) Like, it's, it's very alien. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, um, when I was watching Daredevil, going back to the Marvel mm. movies, you yeah, know, yeah. seeing, I mean, obviously it was a sighted person playing a blind man and that's problematic. But I kept saying to my husband, like, that's just not, like, little things. Like, the way he'd, he'd just move, move around his <laughs> apartment super, super confident. And it's like, like, I get it, you know. I I am confident when I move around familiar places. Yeah. But also i legitimately on a not even probably not weekly basis probably three or four times a week fall over my coffee table because i just don't fucking see it and i'm i'm confident moving around my house so confident that i'm not paying attention to where the furniture is not once did daredevil stub his fucking toe (laughs) once and I'm just like not your representation, is it, babe? And it's just... well, that's the that's the super crypt trope, yeah. right? Of like, yeah. and that's yeah. the that's the problem. And that, like, I think Daredevil, there's a you know a lot of discussion too about like the importance of like again, this was technically like the first blind superhero pretty early mm-hmm. on, even mm-hmm. though it was played by a, a sighted actor. Um, but oh my god, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, there it went. <laughs> Time, don't worry. Will I get it back? <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep talking at you until it does. Um, <laughs> oh, the tension. Oh, you know, I'm just going to say something really deep. Um, oh, that's right. The super trip trope was Thank about you. how, like, he still, like, wasn't in a lot of ways. I mean, because the other thing was that, like, he had all of his other senses heightened so it's like he wasn't blind so it's like yeah. he wasn't disabled yeah. so it's like okay so we're still not quite all right like people ask me that and every time i meet a new person they're like oh can you hear really well i'm like no i don't, <laughs> like, I, I don't think i asked you that did i <laughs> i can't remember it was, it's, it's, this so honest to god it's like I have to sort of point out to people it's like so what do you think like if a person's born without hands then their their feet work really well it just doesn't make any sense my feet don't work does what does that make my other really good bit um i don't know, I don't know. You... A gob? <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say you know super strong powerful arms that you can weight lift with and i like i know it takes some effort to push a chair but like I don't think you could deadlift 50 kilos no. just on a Wednesday. I feel sometimes like my head is going to explode when I pick anything heavy up. I'm like, no, oh, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. But again, this whole, it's, well, that's like Daredevil. The fact that he was blind was just like a character trait. There was no exploration into like what it's like to be blind. They just put it in there because in the comics he's blind. Um and it's a little bit like, oh, we've done that now. We've yeah. got a disabled person. Tick. Bing. Yeah. That's the next long. thing. We've got um, a woman. We've got a disabled person. What else can we do? That's it, actually. Those are the only two. <laughs> <laughs> there is no. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens with um, 
the the new ones that they're doing mm-hmm. um now that disney own marvel they've got obviously hawkeye um is mm-hmm. hearing impaired now and in the hawkeye tv show uh the new villain is hearing um has hearing loss sorry i i apologize to the um deaf community hearing impaired is not an acceptable phrase um yeah has has hearing loss and i am really interested to see because they've cast a woman with hearing loss Hmm. um she i believe she's um indigenous as well so they've gone they've really gone full in um echo her name is Mm -hmm. you know if they 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 could pull off something really impressive Mm -hmm. i'm not holding my breath no but they've got a really good opportunity yeah um, and I'd be very interested to see what they do with with her. The thing that I find quite offensive when it comes to filmmaking and things like that. So, um, what was that film that was out recently with that with the bloke who was in the band, Jared Leto? Oh yeah, Morpheus. Mor- Morbius. Oh, Morbius. 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 That Morbius. was a bad movie. Well, if you would like to, if listeners join our Facebook group and you can see me rant about that film for about 25 minutes like it goes over like six comments (laughs) so they brought it back briefly in theaters because it was it was such a meme because everybody was dunking on it and just being like this is so bad that it was like trending on social media so that the they thought like oh we should bring it back because it's really popular and it like it lost them so much money again it was so funny because they brought it back in theaters they're like you guys want this movie right you're making memes about it and it just bombed again. And it was really, it was a yeah. bad movie. It yeah. had terrible representation in it, and the acting in it was fucking well. Atrocious. Jared, Jared like, Leto needs to stop. Yeah, forever. like I and again, he's another one that gives me a bit of the creeps. I don't yeah. know what it is, but it's just weird. Um, well, he harasses his co-stars. Well, and there you just, go. You see yeah, my, yeah. my instincts. You see, yes, never absolutely. Met, never met the man. No, he's a weirdo. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, but like. There was stories and reports of him on sets, like using a wheelchair because he was method acting, um, mm-hmm. like being making himself so weak that he could barely stand up. And you just think, mate, get over somebody stuff. just needs to just, push him can over. You just can just, you just be like, just put him in the sea, go feed him bread or something, <laughs> and go and sit down with a Coca Cola or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was just like, yeah. Disability is not like a fancy dress costume. You can't just mm-hmm. go, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to try this for a week and see how it affects my character. Stop doing it. Just stop it. And get somebody who is disabled in to, sh- to do it for you. Well, and they still do that quite a bit. Well, I think it's it's less now, but I mean, for a long time too, they were doing that with trans. The very yep. few trans yeah. characters was, um, I mean... Trans mask characters were basically non-existent. Um, it was more of the uh, trans misogyny of, and the, the the violent trans misogyny of basically being like, oh, trans women are men in dresses, so we're just going to have these male actors, um, you know, pretend to be a trans woman. Yeah, and it's it's really dangerous. It has a lot of like direct. Eddie Redmayne. Mark. Yep, yep, and um, it has a lot of violent harmful direct Mm -hmm. impacts and again Mm -hmm. when you treat identities as a costume right like it just it just doesn't it's just so it's not even just like it's not that it's just offensive it's that it leads to directly harmful things like 
all of the really um, transphobic legislation that we're dealing mm -hmm. with on a lot of different levels because mm -hmm. that kind of thing, that kind of violence becomes normalized within those stories. And so, um, yeah, again, it just goes back to like, you can't just, you, you, like you need these people writing the scripts and telling the stories themselves. Like I just, there's just no other way around it, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything. Um, yeah. Let's let's do that. That's that problem solved. <laughs> all right, great. Next. All right, what's next? Yeah, yeah. what do we do now? Okay. <laughs> that is manifesto number one. Yeah. <laughs> Leo, thank you. This has been it's so really interesting. So good to have you on. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you both. We um we do a fabled series mini series where we talk about sort of disability representation in film and tv fiction. and fiction and all that kind of thing and i think it'd be great to have you on uh, like for a few episodes or an episode yeah there to, pick, to a, help. pick a film yeah pick um, a film or book or whatever i think i see look like, our work here is done uh, <laughs> over to leo for like five episodes a year no. um but i think it would be really really useful to sort of have your input on it as well if you wanted to uh be involved yeah, in any of those i mean lucy and i did uh, i did a film degree lucy did a media degree but that was 150 years ago because we're really old so, um, old. <laughs> so it would be nice to have somebody who's who's in it still in the industry and a bit more uh informed and you can <laughs> you can tell us what the hell are you talking about <laughs> shut up <laughs> let, me, let me deal with this okay team i realize i did not at the top of this episode this is what happens when i let lucy introduce the episode did not say this is all been part of our pride series all throughout june we've been doing uh episodes for lgbtq plus pride month and it's been awesome yeah um and we've had so many awesome guests involved that uh we will be throwing other um episodes that should have been recorded for pride out throughout the rest of the year but it's okay because we're just making sure that we're representing people all year round yeah pride is not just for june guys it's... you're telling me gay people exist outside of june <laughs> i know right oh, oh my god, god. what it's, are we gonna do like a, june is like the gay summer holiday <laughs> I was going to say, it's like everybody gets a puppy for Christmas and then by like mid-February, they're all in like shelters. That's yeah. what happens with, with gay people. Like yeah. by mid-August, you're all just back on the shelves. Yeah, the corporations are like, wrap up the wrap up the flag, yeah. guys. Okay, yeah. it's good. It's take, 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 take down the rainbow yeah. down. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> Leo, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. Go back and listen to the other Pride episodes. Make sure you're subscribed to listen to the last one, which will be out next week. And uh, we will see you next week and then in every other episode after that. <laughs> because you'll love us and you'll never leave. I've not sucked yet. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. 